0: Miamians and listeners from around the world, welcome to another episode of Miami Global Net, where we get to know local entrepreneurs, business leaders, the international community, and more. Today we have Victor Unda. He is the founder and CEO of Oki. They specialize in value transfer, specifically using gift cards. So it's cool because I can purchase a gift card here, and then my family or friends in Latin America or or wherever they have their service, can um, use that gift card to pay for anything from groceries to going to the movies to even medicine at pharmacies. So, Victor, how are you doing today? Thank you for joining us on the show.
1: Thank you, Alejandro. Thank you for having me. It's always
0: a pleasure. Thank you. Pleasure is all ours here. So, tell us, what has been one of the biggest challenges that you've had in this journey?
1: I would say it's just a shift in dynamics. I come from a long career in telecom, uh, in a large enterprise, multinational, publicly traded, and starting a venture basically every falls on your shoulder to get it done, right? So it's uh, it's 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 quite cool at the same time because you're basically responsible for everything that's taking place. So it's uh, I would say that's the biggest shift, not a challenge, but just a change in dynamics. Uh, But it's fun, especially if you enjoy what you're doing Um, and seeing something as an idea just start to evolve and start to take shape out of nowhere. It's really cool.
0: Cool. So, Oki, so tell us from your perspective. I summarized it briefly, but so tell us, Oki, what is Oki?
1: So, you know, Oki is interesting because it's like we dissected the best elements of e-commerce, fintech, Mobile prepaid telecom and um, and just the digital economy to come up with a business model that la- that allows immigrants in the United States to purchase with cash via an app prepaid vouchers or you know as you mentioned digital gift cards if you will of different brands in Latin America we've connected these brands to our app and uh, you know they can purchase as you said something as simple as a Happy Meal from McDonald's for five bucks or send $200 in in a prepaid gift card for groceries so that the relatives at home can collect the value that they transferred. It's uh, at a much lower cost than remittances for them. So we're like three to seven times cheaper than a a traditional remittance. For the receiver, it's more more convenient because they get an SMS with a code. So we send this like an alphanumeric code that that basically functions as as a prepaid voucher. And uh, the retailers of the brand that was pre-purchased accept that code as a means of payment, and they exchange products in, in, in exchange for that uh, digital voucher. So it's, uh, it's an interesting model. We, we have about, I think it's already close to 6,000 points of sales here in the U.S., where people can go and add cash to their Oki app account. So even if you don't have a credit card or a PayPal account, you can still use the digital rails, if you will, to get to get it done with cash. So that was really the biggest uh, innovation that we did.
0: What pain points would you say you are you're solving with Oki specifically? Other than sure. you mentioned it's cheaper than the other yeah. modes of transferring money, but what other what other challenges are you fulfilling?
1: From the U.S. to Latin America, there's close to $100 billion flowing north to south in remittances, right? Now, the biggest problem that the the people who are sending the money have is they lack any degree of control how the money is spent Mm -hmm. when it arrives home. That's the biggest pain point. So 80% of the people we surveyed before we started the venture said that they determine how the money should be spent. But 70% of that same cohort said, You know, they use the money for something else because I have no way of controlling that they spend it in an actual pharmacy rather than, you know, spending it on beer in a convenience store. There's no way for me to have any control. At the same time, it's really expensive because it's not only the fee that you pay with Western Union or Monogram, but there are parallel costs to connect the value once it arrives home. So they need to transfer themselves to a point of collection, they need to pay for public transportation, they need to invest time. Sometimes the recipient of the of the transfer uh, is not in a capacity to make that errand to collect the cash, so they send somebody else, and that also has a cost on the transaction. But they all concluded that the biggest cost within the transfer was actually a lack of control. And since it, since it is expensive, sometimes the biggest problem or, you know, the pain point that they have is, you know, given that it's so expensive, whenever you need to do a 10, 15, 20, 70, a hundred dollar transaction, it's not economically reasonable to do it via traditional money transfers because it's too expensive. So they miss out on that capacity of doing peer to peer value transfer that you get today that you can do like with Venmo or a cash App, that you send somebody three bucks. That's something that cross border is too expensive. With this solution, it's not peer-to-peer, but at least it's uh, directed to a specific brand. And the cost of transferring is much lower, as I said already, uh, than a traditional remittance. It's just $1 for transferring anything below twenty three three below 50, or $5 if it's above 50. So depending on how much you're sending, you might be 3 to 7 times cheaper than than a traditional remittance.
0: I love it. So you are, other than the cost, which is the obvious, the lack of control you mentioned is one of the things that you guys are solving the transportation and all the things that come around for that individual in their home country to go get the money from the bank and the ability to be able to send smaller amounts of money. Like, Hey, mom needs 20 bucks for, to complete her medicine purchase, boom, purchase with the app and they can go to the pharmacy. I like the lack of control specifically. You know, um, because I can I can imagine we're working really hard here, you know, to make money to send and then controlling that and um, maybe some pressures. I think you and I pre podcast a while back when we first we were telling me about, OK, you mentioned that sometimes I, I people will send money and then family pressure there will from to grandma or to mom would have mom pay for other things that are not necessarily Absolutely. like, oh yeah, I spend the money that you sent me on, on a gift for shoes for
1: my niece. someone,
0: my knees, because, you know, my daughter was pressuring me to blah, blah blah. when you originally sent the money for, for groceries or medicine.
1: Absolutely. yeah, and, and it's, you know, it's uh, you think about it, that there's a psychological impact to that nature because sometimes, you know, not fulfilling your, your expectations, uh, particularly when this happens with a relative, you start to lose trust in everyone around you, right? So if you're, you know, engaging with your family members and they're you know, betraying your trust, then who can you trust, right? You're alone, you're here working, uh, you know, dust to dawn pretty much every day. This, this community is a really hardworking community. I mean, in contrary to what uh, conventional news try to convey that... Uh, You know, these are not people who are adding value to the economy. They're just invading the country. I would say it's quite the opposite. They're doing a lot of work that nobody wants to get done. Mm. And they're very hardworking. But they do have that problem that they start to lose trust in their environment because the people closest to them have betrayed that trust. So if that happens with a relative or a friend, then what can I expect of people I don't know? So it's, uh, you know, there's... There's really uh, a lot of added value to the individual other than just a transactional and direct impact. Would you start to regain a lot of control, a lot of uh, sense of fulfilling your your goals, right, to a certain degree, as you pointed out, Um, you know, sending money to your mother to replace a refrigerator? And your sisters know about the transfer and the know of the son, and they need a new dress for the for the niece that's you know turning fifteen, and they want to do a quinceañera. And you know the money goes to spend, to consumption, and not to the original intention it was uh, sent for. So, you know, giving them back some margin of control is, has, I would say, three elements. One is it allows them to become active in the digital economy and, and extract the value from the digital space from this side of control, you get uh, more sense of assurance that you're gonna send what you need to send. And given that it's uh, very flexible, it's also less expensive. So sometimes, as I said, they don't need to send 300, $500. Maybe with $50, they get their, their desired um, you know, objective cleared. And doing that via traditional cash remittance is too expensive. So having that opportunity to do it, in the digital space at a low cost with cash, it's something that they couldn't do in the past. So it's a new category, if you will. It's something that they couldn't do.
0: Yeah, and sometimes, sometimes it takes years for people to actually go back to their country to see the effect of the money that they've worked really hard for. All right, so you you guys definitely walk into this space to give that peace of mind, to know that at least I'm working hard for several years uh, before I get to go back to see my family, my wife, my kids, whoever they left behind, to to see that have that control must give Absolutely. them peace to continue to work hard or harder.
1: No, and and you'd be surprised. You know, we've uh, we've encountered stories that are really heartbreaking. You know, we met uh, a couple from Honduras. They've been here for I think it was close to nine or ten years without going back without going back, yeah, they've been saving money. They were sending money. They, they had a plot of land in Honduras, in Tegucigalpa. They wanted to build a house. And their idea was, this was a young couple. So they came here uh, early 20s. They wanted to work hard for, you know, a decade or so, build a house and go back to Honduras to, um, you know, a more dignified means of living and then spending the rest of their lives with, with the house already built problem was they sent, I think it was over those 10 years, close to $80,000 uh, to her mother-in-law to build the house. And they would get pictures every now and then of how the construction was going. And, uh, you know, when, when the house apparently was finished, they went back. And to their amazement, the house was not in their plot of land. Uh, somebody had used the money for something else consistently. The plot of land had no bricks on it. The entire... Money they had sent over a decade went to basically support the just the living expenses of 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 the in-laws, uh of of the individual we're talking to, and they said, you know, it's it's really tough because we had to come back. Obviously, now we're not looking to go back, but you start with that debt that you need to pay the coyote of fifteen thousand dollars again just to cross the border. Um, so it really set them back, you know, not only economically, but in terms of their lifespan, 10 years, because they, they wasted, and the way they express it is I wasted 10 years working for a dream that would never take place. And obviously, I was betrayed, by, in this case, by my mother-in-law, and uh, we're not going back. Uh, so you like that, you have an array of stories that are, as I said, it's heartbreaking, because Imagine if you had a little bit more control of how the money is being spent, where it's, where it's going to be spent. You could send the money for a hardware store where the only thing they can purchase is construction materials, right? Uh, unless they start selling beer and uh, groceries, you know, that hardware store is only going to sell them what they need to, to be purchased. So that's just one example. I would say it's um, the stories like that
0: are plenty. I believe it. I believe it. With, with, with the amount, you said $100 billion is transferred from here to Latin America. And you guys are are tapping into that and, and helping individuals control some of that investment to make sure that those $100 million, well, well I mean, a portion of that um, is spent yeah, correctly.
1: Absolutely. We. You know, we're not, I would say, the marketplace we've created in the countries where we operate. So today we're in six countries. Um, the first one was Guatemala, which is, probably the most consolidated marketplace that we have. We have over hundred brands already in 17 categories. So anything from groceries, pharmacy, hardware stores, uh, convenience stores, restaurants, you name it. But we're also building the marketplace for El Salvador, Honduras, Mexico. Those four markets are close to 70% of all the money flowing out of the US. So over 70 billion dollars are landing in Mexico, Guatemala, Salvador, Honduras. We also have Argentina, Costa Rica, and we're looking to expand into into other markets. Um, our ambition is over time, not only to cater the, the US Latam corridor, but there's, there's a huge uh, community of immigrants also residing in Spain, for example, that send money to South America. So Ecuador, Bolivia, Paraguay, um, Argentina, Colombia, Venezuela, all of those markets also have the same the same dynamics and they face the same constraints, right? Sending cash, it's a, it's a decade old um, type of dynamic that is yet to see real disruption. Uh, I mean, what you see a lot of the new apps, what they're doing is doing the same thing money transfer operators do, but via an app. And what they do is probably they reduce a little bit the transfer costs sometimes at the expense of, uh, let's say, not a, a very competitive exchange rate, but they really hadn't transferred any incremental value to people originating the, the value. And that's really what we're doing. One of the things I failed to mention, uh, when you asked me about the benefits or the pain points, you know, there's a lot of data uh, from these individuals that, that is just being, you know, um, underutilized that data would allow you to eventually give them better access to, to even fulfilling their desires of being documented immigrants who have access to you know, financial instruments to have uh, a legal status in the US. Uh, you know These are people, as I said, who work hard. They, they usually pay taxes and they pay additional expenses to the taxes that they pay because they don't have social security and whatnot. So most of the undocumented community would love to be uh, on a legal status, but it's a process and it requires resources. And it's, you know, it's it's a journey for them. Uh, but they're a reality of the economy in which we reside. So anything we can do to help them improve their lives and inspire them to continue those heroic efforts that they have to to provide for their families at home, it's uh, it's part of the purpose why we built this business. Can
0: you walk me through the process of using using the app? You mentioned you have, 600 sure. points of, of service in the close, United
1: States? Close to 6,000.
0: Yeah. Ah, sorry. So, I missed a zero. No, that's right. 6,000 yeah, yeah, yeah. no, points of service. So, sure. th- that means that it could be what a Seven Eleven, it could be places well, like that. It's more,
1: yeah. It's, uh, if, if you want to walk you through a process, yeah. so basically you download the application. Okay. The app is available both in the iTunes stores and Google Play. So, Once you have the app, there's three ways you can make a purchase, right? You can use your credit card, use PayPal if you have those instruments. But if you don't, what we created is a a network of points of cash in where these immigrants can go and and hand cash to the teller and that cash is loaded into a Rocky app account. It's similar to what you would do with a prepaid mobile phone, right? Uh, The way prepaid mobile works is you hand 20 bucks to a teller. Those $20 are added to your mobile phone number. With that balance, you can purchase minutes, SMSs, and data. In the case of Oki, it's exactly the same mechanic, but instead of purchasing only telecom services, you can purchase anything from the marketplace in the app. So once you have cash in your account, you basically choose from which brand you want to make a purchase, what Mm -hmm. type of product you want to buy, and who will receive the product. It's a very simple process. They make the purchase. The purchase is confirmed via SMS, to the sender, and the recipient receives an SMS with an alphanumeric code. And the reason we decided to use uh, traditional text messaging is just because in Latin America there's still a large percentage of users who don't have smartphones. So we didn't want to have the recipient have a smart have the need of a smartphone and an app to receive the value. So mm-hmm. SMS worked. The second the second issue was you have uh, a reality that these are prepaid markets. So even if you were to have a smartphone, but if you don't have balance in your phone, you cannot receive the value because you cannot connect to the internet if you don't have balance, right? So the SMS actually worked quite well for that solution. So it's smartphone, dumb phone, doesn't matter. It works even if you don't have balance. And once you get that code, you can immediately go to any of the outlets of the pre purchased brand, and retrieve the product or apply that code to your purchase, retrieving multiple products. Uh, so that's the way it works. And the sender could even pay for some utility bills as well. They can pay for the internet at home, for cable, for the electricity bill. And the recipient is only notified that you know, I already paid the cost of the utility bill. So my, my, my power is already paid for, for instance. Uh, so it's a simple process. It's not that complex.
0: I like it but still I still like the idea a lot being able to pay and control what you're paying for is really I think your biggest your biggest selling point being able to tell people hey with us you don't have to worry about where your money your hard earned money because it's not like you, I'm sure the majority of users who send money home they're not necessarily big time lawyers you know, no, they're, no. They're, working, they're working really hard with no, their hands. These
1: are people, they're working on the fields. They're working as busboys. They're washing dishes. Uh, these are ladies cleaning houses. Hard. Uh, it's hard work. It's hard labor. As I said, sometimes it's the type of work that uh, many people are not willing to do anymore. And they're willing to do it from dusk to dawn, as you said, are working. And they send the bulk majority of what they produce I mean, their whole ambition is to go back to a better uh, means of living. So they, they make a lot of uh, efforts. They, they, they make a lot of sacrifices here to provide for their relatives because they see themselves as a productive engine, right? The only reason why I'm here is to generate value. So they focus on two things, being healthy, because if I'm not healthy, I don't produce. Mm. And then if I'm healthy, I have to work. So having work, so to give an idea, during the pandemic, we saw a shift of people moving from uh, larger cities into more uh, rural areas in the U.S. because they couldn't find work, uh, you know, washing dishes or cleaning houses just because of the conditions of the pandemic. So they went to where they could find work, which was, you know, just picking, uh, picking fruits or vegetables or whatever in the fields. They, they they do what needs to get done to be productive.
0: Got it. It makes sense. It makes sense. Interesting shift. I had not thought about that. So that's good. That's interesting. And it makes sense because restaurants yeah. and all these because restaurants are a huge employer. You may Absolutely. see two or three people there serving you, but at the end, it, you got you got at least three shifts. You got the back end, you know three shifts back there as well. So a small restaurant can easily employ, you know, 30 people.
1: Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And they couldn't find work. Hmm. And for them, not working is wasting their time. They don't have, as you said, they're not lawyers who have tons of savings. And actually, they don't save money. All of their savings are traveling south. So it's estimated that about a third to about 40% of what they produce is actually transferred south. And what they retain is what allows them to support their living conditions here in the U.S. So if you produce $100, you no, know, 40 to 30 dollars are traveling south, and the remaining 60 to 70 dollars uh, or 70 percent of what you produce is basically to pay for your house, to pay for your utilities, uh, your living expenses, transportation, whatever you need. But very marginal value is being spent on anything of self gratification, if you will. That is traveling south, all of it.
0: So just like any entrepreneur funding is always important or else we can't go anywhere. So tell us about your funding journey. What are, what are, what are you looking at?
1: Sure. So um, yeah, funding is like fuel for, for the vehicle that you're driving, right? Without any filters, you're not going to get to where you want to go. So for us, it's been interesting. You know, we've, we've gotten a lot of interest from private investors uh, and that really has filled the business to get it going to where it's at. But in this stage of where we're going, we, we're we not looking only for cash, but rather strategic value in addition to just the economic impact it can have. Uh, as you can imagine, venturing into a market the size of Mexico, uh, it's, it's the type of environment where you would like uh, an institutional investor from Mexico who can not only provide the economic resources, but at the same time, the strategic value of their networking, their experience, uh, their their understanding of the Mexican reality uh, so that that market can become more accessible to a small venture like ours that's just getting off the ground, right? Um, the opportunity is huge. to Give you an idea. Mexico is the biggest remittance corridor in the world. Mexico receives over $50 billion a year from the US. So it's not easy. Uh, once you start to focus in, in a very specific Uh, target, the number of investors start to get reduced. Uh, We've managed to establish amazing conversations with great people. We've come across incredible individuals in Mexico, and uh, some of them have opened their Rolodex from A to C and really have provided a lot of help. And hopefully we'll be landing some resources from these strategic investors in the coming weeks, uh, because we're currently in the stage of doing our post-seed round. So getting everything set up so we can do a Series A, hopefully, next year.
0: So when you mentioned about transferring money, I'm, I'm guessing it's mainly just one way, right? So when you expand into a new territory, I'm thinking, without really you know, knowing a lot of the back end, you need to get a lot of people to onboard their, their services, their businesses, yeah, yeah. so that I'm here, I'm a Mexican, and I want to be able to choose what kind of, what do I want to, a gift card or one service i want to buy so it must be that's that's also a challenge that's why investment is significantly needed to enter so new market.
1: markets No, so, to give you an idea the marketplace we've been creating don't exist and we actually got that question from an investor they said you know what what would you say is the biggest barrier to entry to what you're doing because the technology you guys are using is not really something that uh You could argue it's not proprietary, right? It's not, I mean, you're using SMSs. It's not that you develop the next blockchain. And we said, yeah, for sure. We're actually going to be using blockchain just as a means of safeguarding the business. But but you're right. We're using existing technology. So it's more uh, an evolution of the business model. But what I would argue that it's one of the biggest barriers to entry from a competitor is building these marketplaces. Because that takes a lot of time. It takes resources and it takes... uh, commitment from the retailing, the retail party or the brand to allow you to integrate with them technically mm-hmm. so that they can accept this branded currency, if you will, in their stores. So once you start to get that ecosystem flowing, replicating that becomes really, really uphill. It's not that easy. But that's really where we're generating the value, right? We're creating an ecosystem on both ends. The sending end and the receiving end. And, uh, That is really what allows bottom line to to have those better conditions to reduce costs. Because if you get a lot of intermediaries to get it solved, it's too expensive. It's it's, probably you would end up at a more higher price point than remittances,
0: right? And now I'm sure it's a much easier conversation than at the beginning. Now you have a business model that's working, you have 6,000 points of sale, you already have a certain amount of money you're transferring. So going to, to someone in Mexico and be like, look, this is our business model. We're opening Mexico. Jump on board. Tell me about your first onboarding cli- as the service provider or or client. Sure. What was it? Was it difficult to no, pitch it, the idea it, it, when you yeah, first no, birthday?
1: Absolutely. You know when we started, it was a PowerPoint uh, with a lot of energy, a lot of passion, uh, but little to show for. Right. Mm-hmm. So we basically say, you know, we're pitching around saying this is what we're gonna do. And you know, people say, "Wow, that's interesting." Uh, you know, when you get it done, come back and and and, and we'll, we'll entertain the possibility. So, you know, as as in any as in any venture, you need obviously you need to be blessed to have some doors being opened, uh, which I think it was the case. Uh, Guatemala is a small country, and given my previous lifetime, I was lucky enough to, um, or blessed enough to be in a position to know a lot of mm. uh, influential people in different in different businesses. So when I pitched the idea, you know, a lot of the, the the reason why they probably accepted to come on board was because they trusted the people who were behind the business. It wasn't just myself, but my partners as well. These were people who were highly regarded in the business uh, environment. So they said, you know, if you guys are behind the business, we're betting on the fact that you will get done what your PowerPoint says, right? Um, you know, 18 months fast forward after we started commercially operating the business. We have tens of thousands of customers. You know, we've been paying on time to our brands. Uh, there's already millions of dollars flowing via the platform. So, you know, getting that first brand uh, wasn't easy. Uh, and getting the first flagship brand, if you will, you know, funny enough, the biggest the biggest brand we, we landed at the beginning was McDonald's. Oh. And we thought, You know, it's uh, it's it's a globally recognized brand, so it's gonna give us a lot of credibility. And we're not very optimistic of the volume of you know purchases people would do of McDonald's because you know if you're living abroad and you're trying to build a house, McDonald's will not be at the top of the list of what you want to send. And we were completely taken aback by the by the use of the sender, because uh, fast food or restaurants became the fastest growing category that we have. So landed that brand not only allowed us to gain some credibility in the street, if you will, to the businesses that we were onboarding in the marketplace, but it was really what a lot of people were looking for here in the U.S. because sometimes they don't have enough resources. They didn't have enough work this month to send their remittance, but they do have $10, 15 $20 mm. to treat their relatives to, to a meal. And they said, you know, this really solves a big problem for me. Because sometimes I, you know, I feel down that I'm, I'm not being productive and I couldn't send the remittance. But now I send them, you know, I, I invite them, I treat everyone to dinner at McDonald's or Pollo Campero, if you will. And it cost me 20, 30 bucks. Everybody's happy. I feel better. And next month I will send the money. But this month, at least I treated them to a meal. And I couldn't do that in the past because sending $15 would cost me an extra $15. Just mm-hmm. to land that money at home. Mm-hmm. So it's it's ridiculous. But now it costs me one dollar to get it on. I mean, I can do it. It's it's not a problem. So so it's it's you know, it's funny how things develop. Um, and how, as I said, you know, just blessings are being placed in front of you. Uh, you don't realize them at the time, but it's it's really what's allowing you to, to fulfill a greater mission. Um, and as you said, you know, going to Mexico, much bigger market a completely different story we're not landing there with a powerful we're landing there with a business model that already has thousands of customers doing transactions on a daily basis um and we already have you know a proof of concept that's already tried and tested it's not you know, they're not taking a huge risk um to a certain degree in the business model so it's it's something that's more appealing it's easier to sell
0: I mean, you're you're costing a lot of uh, people to be able to do exactly what you did and cause happiness and 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 comfort, knowing that they'd be able to take care of their family members in smaller amounts. So that's amazing. So yeah, talking so about this work that you're doing, what does the evolution look like? Where do you want this to be?
1: Sure. So you know, our, if, if we are allowed to dream big, which is really why you start these type of ventures. Let's. Uh, you know, we we. We didn't start, as I said, just to send them McDonald's happy meal. I mean, that, that's, as I said, that, that wasn't even by design. We didn't know that was gonna happen, but the whole idea was, let's solve the immediate needs of these consumers via traditional consumption, via the marketplace. But at the same time, we're gonna be collecting a lot of data. So if you think about it, it's a platform that, that is comprised of a distribution network that enables the purchase of a digitalized marketplace of retail brands in Latin America, that is powered by technology that we assembled. And from all that ecosystem, we start to garner a lot of information. So, you know, where people are located when they make the purchase, what are they buying? Who's receiving it? Where is it being redeemed? And uh, how much they're spending on a recurring basis? How consistent are they on this uh, type of purchase? And all of that data over time allows you to bring better solutions on an individual basis. And that's really what's going to drive the value of the digital economy, right? Because if you're, you think about it, if you're dealing predominantly in cash, there's no log or recorded history of what you've been doing. But if you start to do things on a digital environment, you start to leave a digital footprint. And that footprint could actually work to your benefit because all of a sudden you can have better products being offered uh, to your needs. Mm -hmm. But if you go beyond consumption, you can, even start to think about providing, you know, financing, uh, access to credit lines, and over time, why not even the actual money transfer, but in greater volumes with the right uh, legal framework, so they can make, you know, uh, installment payments on a house or a property or a car. So anything that we can do with the system to bring them to a more structured economic standpoint, meaning providing better tools of the financial ecosystem. Is really what we're going after. I mean, you know, there's a hundred billion dollar flowing north to south, but there's an additional two hundred billion close or more that's being spent here in the U.S. So just the U.S. alone is a in the human community I mean, a three hundred billion economy that's heavily underserved. So you know, anything we can do to improve the lives of these individuals is really what we're going after.
0: Got it. Wonderful. Well, it sounds like you guys are embarked on a wonderful journey in this entrepreneurial venture. Now that you guys are in Miami, which is great, you know, Miami startup, tell us tell us about Miami. How has Miami served you?
1: Well, uh, you know, Miami has many features and, and this Miami tech movement has really uh, pushed an ecosystem that's just flourishing, right? Uh, but if you think about it, Miami is the, I would argue, is the capital city of Latin America, right? So it's the gateway to any city in the time. You have pretty much... From miami a bridge directly into any major city in latin america and uh, at the same time any individual from latin america who's coming to the us usually miami tends to be the port of entry right so it in our case doing business is is really convenient because if we were to say you know based out of denver you know a businessman from Mexico or from Guatemala that will be in Denver, probably that will happen once every three or five years mm. if at all, right? But a businessman going through Miami on the way to New York, on the way to Washington on the way to Denver, you no know, Miami is always the point of entry. So we have um, easy access not only to travel south but also the people traveling north and connecting with them on route and, on specific trips, right? So that's really convenient. Uh, At the same time, you have, you know, as I said, just the local ecosystem in Miami of entrepreneurs is just ridiculous how fast it's growing. Obviously, sponsored from our mayor, Francis Suarez, who's been, you know, a lead man in really pushing uh, the flourishing of uh, the Miami tech movement. And you see a lot of companies just relocating to Miami and starting to set up shops here. And that gives you over time, greater access to talent, better access to networking. You know, we've been talking to a lot of companies in the fintech space who have offices here in Miami, and that is something that, were not for how the city is really evolving in that space, it wouldn't be probably as easy or as simple, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, even though we're doing a lot of Zoom, like we're doing right now, yeah. the fact that you can sit over coffee with someone uh, and really talk eye to eye, into what we're building and just having the capacity of being in, in the same space, in the same environment and attending the same events. It's just simpler networking. is just really fantastic.
0: Awesome. Victor, this has been a fantastic podcast with you learning about Oki and how you guys are creating value for people all around the world. So thank you for joining okay. us on the show and telling us your story
1: happy to do so thank you Alejandro for having us it's uh it's always for us it's always a pleasure sharing a story we're passionate about what we're doing so anyone willing to listen to us we're more than happy to convey you know the journey we're going through